Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning. It's good to be here with you guys. Um, as Femi said, my name is Ricardo or Omeka or whatever it is, the name that, that I'm given. A um, little bit real quick about myself. Um, first, I'm delighted to be here. I told the first hour, this is a, a privilege. This is my second time being here in Lagos, my second time being in Africa. As an African-American who clearly has roots here in Africa far more than I can imagine, it is a gift because not many of us have the opportunity to get to Africa. And so, um, to be able to return to Wakanda has been a gift for me. I fully expect to make it through customs with my vibranium to take back to my brothers and sisters in America. But uh, this, is, this is really good, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate you guys, and appreciate what the leaders here are doing with this church. And um, I mean, you guys probably know this, so maybe you don't know it. It's, this is a unique place, and the fact that you guys are trusting Jesus and on mission for Jesus here is uh, unique. You don't even need to tell you that, but I'm, I'm thankful for you guys, and uh, it's, it's a blessing. So before we jump in, a um, little bit about myself. Uh, I've been married for almost 12 years to my wife, Holly. Uh, we have two kids. We have a, a, our oldest son turns 10 uh, today, and so he'll wake up here in a few hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can see you guys are excited about that. Um, and we have a younger son who's seven, and so those two boys we have and then uh, we live in Arizona, which is the west coast of, uh, of the United States. Both my wife and I are both originally from California, and uh, yet we made, we made our home in Arizona because that's where we both went to college. Um, okay, preaching-wise, style. I speak faster than most human beings who you will ever meet. And so um, I will try as I can uh, to slow down, yet it's not going to be as slow as what you, what you would nor- normally think. So... Femi says that these are recorded and they're going to be on podcasts. Hopefully, you can slow it down in the podcast. <laughs> oh, that's what he said. That wasn't good. Um, so, so that that would be uh, that'd be okay. Second thing is call and response. You guys probably get this more than most. Is there may be something I say that's true about Jesus or about God? I may say God is good, Amen, and you will respond by saying, amen. "Okay, you guys did the same thing as the first service." You could say, "Amen." That's like a question mark, or you can say, "Amen!" Exclamation point. We're going for the exclamation point, just so you know. Um, and so I think, I, think, I think that's it. I think, I think ultimately that's it. And so we're going to hear about the love of God today uh, through the text um, in Luke chapter 7. But before uh, we turn there, let's ask God to bless our time again afresh by the Spirit to illuminate God's word that we may understand it, receive it, and be able to live it. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are present with us by your Spirit. I thank you that you are present with the people of Lagos, and particularly with the church here that gathers. God, we ask that you would, in this moment, God, that you would take the scriptures and you would illuminate them in a way in which we not just would glean intellect, but Lord, we'd be able to experience and walk in the ways of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That by the Spirit, that you would remove me and and, and all of the things and the distractions that we may see the exalted and the risen Christ that transforms our lives in ways that we couldn't ask, think, or even imagine. There is something unique, Lord, that you do when the people of God gather, and even those who have yet to trust in Jesus, that your spirit moves in ways, Lord, that we ask that you would do afresh again. 
And so take this word, take these stories, God, use them, Lord, as we offer them up to you that you would speak in and through us. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So for us, we call it high school. Um, here you guys call it secondary school. So when I was in secondary school, this is my first year of four there, and I had the opportunity to play on the basketball team. And I had the opportunity as a, as a young freshman to play on the, the, the best basketball team in terms of the varsity, the highest level. And one of the things here, you got to go back, this is 1996, what was really unique and cool to do was we had the breakaway pants. And the breakaway pants were the sweatpants that you had that had the buttons all the way down the side. So if you were called in the game, you had to look smooth and pull those things off as if you do it all the time, right? And you, had, you, know, you can't just walk in there nervous, so you got to walk in there, you know, like you've done it before, right? And so I was excited about this. As you can imagine, I'm at my apartment with my mom, and we're putting all my basketball stuff in the bag. And she kept saying to me, slow down, boy. Slow down. I'm like, no, I got everything. Slow down, boy. Slow down. That's what my mom says. So we get to the game, we're winning. It's about the second quarter. Coach looks down the bench. He says, Ricardo, you're going in. So it's my time to shine. We're at our school, all the fans are there. I mean, this is about to be the biggest moment in the history of Earth, right? And so I get there to the, to the table to check in. The ref blows the whistle. I take off the pants as smoothly as I want to. There's a problem. I forgot to put my basketball shorts on. <laughs> all I can hear is my mom saying, slow down, boy. Or, boy, slow down. I want you to turn your neighbor and say, boy, slow down. And just so that we can be fair, I want you to turn your neighbor again and say, girl, slow down. I feel like if you guys are like us, and especially in a city like Lagos, we're always moving so fast. Everything. How fast can we get here? How fast can we get there? Everything is rushed. Everything is hurried. And especially when things are familiar. And I think we do the same thing as we approach Jesus Christ. I think there's so much of Christ that becomes familiar, and there's so much of Christ that becomes rushed. And especially when we come to the Gospels, and we read about Jesus. If you've grown up in church as a young kid, or you're, you're, you've been around church sometimes, you hear a story about Jesus, and you go, I've heard that. I know that. And whether we know it, we actually rush through the person and work of Jesus. And so what happens is we may look at the, 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 the macro and miss the micro. Another way to say it is we may see the miracles, but we may not see what Jesus is doing in the mundane or that which actually drives him to be able to serve and to do the miracles that he does. And so the hope for this morning for us as we go to, to the God's word is to be able to slow down and look at the ways of Jesus, particularly how God's love is on display. It is often said, we say a lot, that in, um, that in Jesus we see God, right? But also, in God, we begin to see Jesus. And ultimately, if we want to know the Father, we begin to look at the ways of Christ. Look at the way he loves people. Look at the way he talks to people. Look at the way he looks at people. Look at the compassion that he shows. And what we see in Christ is that when you see Jesus loving through the Gospels, you slow down enough to experience and see him, it usually starts first with him looking. And we said his looking ultimately leads to loving. And so if you're with me in the Gospel of Luke, we're going we're gonna to start there this morning. Chapter 7, um, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town of the gate, a dead person was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. So here's the story here. We're going to narrate this story. Spend the bulk of my time narrating the story. And there's, there's kind of three people here. 
Um, there's the widow, which we'll talk about, and there's her son who's dead, and then there's Jesus. Um, most of these stories are going to have Jesus. In fact, all of the stories should have Jesus, FYI. Um, what we have here is the context. Jesus has just left one place where he's healed somebody. Um, he's now traveling to a city called Nain. Jesus has a large crowd with him. And what we know from the language when it says large crowd is usually that means about 1,000 to 2,000 people that are traveling with Jesus. Not because Jesus wanted an entourage. It's because people, Jesus was doing things that people wanted to follow him. We as a people love the big. We love the magical. We love the famous. We love the verified on Instagram, right? We love that. And so people are just following Jesus. Now, when he comes to Nain, Nain is a particular city that is about the size of 300 to 500 people. And as Jesus is approaching the city, he sees that there's a funeral procession that's going on. And I don't know what it's like here in Lagos, but in the States, when there's a funeral procession, what happens is there's a bunch of cars, um, there's a hearse, there's usually police escorts, and they're driving along. And if you're driving and you're not a part of the procession, you pull to the side and you acknowledge that there's death and that they're on the way, they're mourning, and so forth. And so you could picture here that there's, there's, there's the equivalent of traffic. Now, as Lagosians, I know you guys know nothing about traffic. And so um, what, what, what you have here is Jesus now singing upon this crowd. So we've got to picture what the funeral crowd looks like. So we said this, is that one, when you think about a funeral in their day, um, there's some things we know about their culture. One, there's probably three to 500 people walking out. And you may say, well, didn't you just say that the town of Nain only has about three to 500 people? Exactly. In a Western culture like the one that I'm from, very individualistic, et cetera, it is not, uh, it's not common for us to participate in people's funerals that we don't know. However, in this particular day, it would have been expected that everybody would have participated in this. So the whole town's there. So you can visually see this. Three to 500 people walking. In the very front, what we know from their culture is the women would have been there. And the women usually led the procession of funerals because, as you look at the scriptures, they said, because sin entered through this world through a woman, a woman will always lead where there's death. Imagine that. And amongst these women, you would have the widow. And I'm sure there was a certain dress that she would have that would show that she is a widow. And certain cultures still have that. We have a woman at our church right now who, in, in back in Arizona, who's originally from Egypt, and her, um, she lost her father when she was a young girl, and her mom had to wear certain clothing in Egypt that she remembered. And then they won a lottery to go to Canada, which I don't know if you guys have heard of that, um, Africans <laughs> moving to Canada. Um, and so this was years ago, and they said the first thing that her family did for her was saying, now that you're leaving this country, we want to give you a whole new wardrobe that you can have wardrobe that shows life instead of death. This woman is experiencing death. She's a widow. And she's also now just lost her son. Behind her would have been those who were carrying the beer, and not that type of beer. Come on now. Um, and as they're carrying it, it would have been a wooden slap, an open face with the, the son, who was an adult, dead, open on the body there as they're walking him. And then behind him, all of the people. Also with the women in front, there would have been mourners, people who were weeping, people who were crying. As we approach funerals in my context, it is often to try to hold back your emotions as best as you can. That it's okay to weep, but I mean, you, you will do apologize. You ever notice that? People start crying and they go, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? You're sad, not sorry. And that's totally okay. 
And this particular day, you were allowed to mourn. In fact, there were actual jobs, meaning people had a job to be a professional, professional mourner, a professional crier. Think about that. What did you go to the university for? To, to cry, you know? <laughs> you know? And some of us, those of you with kids, you get it. You go, oh, I know exactly what you're going to be when you get older. And yeah, when he gets so like you and he's been crying his whole life. This was something that was ordained by God as a vacation for him to, to use his gifts to glorify the Lord, right? And so you have professional weepers that were there. And so all of this is going on. There's welling, there's weeping, there's this sad woman who's already lost her husband at some point in her life and has now lost her son. All of this commotion is going, and then there's Jesus. Now, Jesus could have just done what we do, step aside acknowledge it, let them do their thing, and then go across this way. But that is not the way that Jesus loves. Notice what Jesus does here. Verse 12, come back with the text with me. It says, as he approached the gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord, hear me, saw her, there's a progression of Jesus' love. It starts first with looking. It moves to emotion that he feels some type of way, and then it goes to him speaking or telling, and then there's some action or the actual love part that shows something. And we're going to walk through this progression as we see this. The first thing it says he saw her. There is something, it is difficult to notice people in a crowd, a huge crowd, right? Imagine you guys going to the market, and imagine talking to your friends afterwards, maybe later in the, later in the week, and saying, yeah, I was at the market on Tuesday, and they go, well, which market? And, and you say, well, this particular market. Well, I was at that particular market. Wait, on Tuesday, what time? Uh, right around 8 o'clock at night, right after work. <laughs> oh, I was there at that time. Well, I didn't see you. Well, there's a lot of people there. Yeah, we were there at the same time. That happens quite a bit because you know why? It's hard to notice people in a large crowd. However, when you are noticed in a crowd, it feels amazing. When someone looks and yells, Ameka! <laughs> Me or all 15 of the other Amecas there. <laughs> when someone recognizes you in a crowd, there's something that is special about that. So last year, um, in November, me and my wife decided for our birthdays to go watch an American football game in a different state. It had been about a six-hour flight to Georgia. Um, the reason being is where we live, football is a hobby, it's a sport, and the South is actually a religion. And so we wanted to go check it out there. So we get there, we're on our way to the game, we're walking to the game, there's 80,000 people going to this particular stadium. And as we're walking into the game, my wife looks to me and she goes, the guy next to you looks just like Ryan Tolan. Side note, Ryan Tolan, best friend I grew up with in Los Angeles, uh, since I was probably seven or eight years old, this is my guy. I look over and it's him. We didn't know that we were both gonna be there, I'm not on social media, and so I didn't put on social media, yo, going to the Georgia game. Uh, so. I didn't know he was going to be there. And so I did what I would do in that moment. I saw him, and I pushed him, because that's what you do. You push him, like, yo. And he's like, yo, what are you doing here? We're here for the football game. What are you doing here for the football game? And we both had done the same thing. We both had said, let's go to a football game outside of our place, where it's a hobby and it's a sport, to where it's a religion. And so we went there. And we're like excited. We're yelling. We're screaming. We're hugging each other. I mean, people are looking at this going, OK, What's going on? There's like a lot of excitement. The game ain't even started yet. And we're, I mean, we're just screaming. Now, what they can see on the outside is two men who are at best maybe awkward, um, but at least excited to see each other. But there is something far deeper there. Just a couple years before this, the last time I had seen Ryan, um, he, he lost his daughter. His daughter died. 
I was a baby. And this, one of the saddest funerals I've ever been to. And then him and his wife had another child. And this particular child got sick, something completely unrelated, and had been in the hospital. And I kept, would talk to him. We talked a lot and praying for you. He didn't want me to pray for him because he does not believe in God. He doesn't believe in the things in which we were singing about. He doesn't believe in the things in which we were confessing about. And so he asked me, please do not pray. Um, I prayed anyway because it doesn't matter whether he believes in God or not. Our God reigns. Amen. So he said, uh, I said, how's Caitlin? He says, Caitlin's doing great, man. She's fine. She's out in the hospital. This is our first trip away. Man, I'm so glad to see you. Just, just give you the equivalent. This would be like if we all, both grew up in Abuja, and then I moved to Lagos to make it. And then I came to Lagos, right? And then we decided to go to a game, not knowing anything, um, all the way out in you know, Johannesburg. Like That would have been the equivalent of what's happening here. And so on the surface, it's excited guys, but deeper it's going, Man, there's an emotional connection as we hugged and we wept and had a good time. There's something about when you're noticed in a crowd, and especially when there's something deeper. We see a woman who's sad, rightfully so, in this story. Jesus sees something wildly different. He's, we notice this because the way that Luke, the writer of this gospel, writes it. If you go back with me again, let's read verse 12. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Here, here it is the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. But when Jesus looked, he saw something. And that day, a woman needed a man. A woman didn't just want a man. A woman needed a man. She needed a husband. She needed a son. This was something that she needed to take care of, someone to take care of her. There, there, this wasn't just a woman who was saying, I don't need a man in my life. I got my own job. I got my own car. I'm fierce, right? That, that, not this time. Not, not at this point. That came later. Praise be to God. But right now, this woman needed a man. And not only just a man, she needed someone to care for us. And so when, you, when Jesus saw this, he doesn't see a sad woman. He sees a woman who is sliding into poverty. That she's already lost her husband. And then now she's got this grown son that can take care of her. Her only son, Luke lets us know. And now he's gone. So not only is she sad and suffering, she's about to be poor. And that Jesus looks at this woman's situation, and he doesn't just think, what does she need spiritually only? He thinks about the totality of this woman because that's what the gospel does. And so Jesus looks at this woman, and the next thing it says that he, do, that he does is he feels. Verse 13, and when the Lord saw her in his heart, his heart went out to her. Meaning there's an emotion, there's a feeling. We don't often like to talk about God having feelings or emotion or maybe anger, but not him going, my heart goes out to you, that, that Jesus is deep in his feelings now for this woman. And it starts first by him looking, and then he feels some type of way in the way that we would, in the way that we ought, that we see what sin has done and the, the, the uh, consequences of sin, uh, sin has done in the lives of people. And so there's emotion here. Now, I got to do something here because if you're like me, I often get sympathy and empathy and compassion all confused, or we just use it as the same thing when it's not. And so let me try to use the illustration here. So there's a TV show. Um, well, in my family, when we sit down and we're going to watch something, we, um, when I choose, we, I choose a cooking show. And not because I'm really good at cooking. In fact, I don't even like to cook. I love to eat. And so when I watch these men and women cook, I'm like, ain't the Lord good, right? 
So we'll watch that. When the boys get a chance to choose, they choose a show called, I think it's called Ultimate Beastmaster. It's a terrible title. But that's the name of the show. And it's a bunch of people from around the world that compete in these kind of obstacle courses and so forth to see who's going to be the ultimate beast. Because that is what we are made to be, ultimate beasts. No. <laughs> so um, we're watching the show, and there's this guy from Mexico. And he's gone from, from pole to pole to pole. And he's swinging. He's jumping. And he finally gets to one. And he lands. And pow, his shoulder pops out. And you can just see it. And it's like, oh. And so here's what happens. My two boys see it and they go, oh, his shoulder popped out. Oh, man. And they're like, oh, that must hurt. And they're, they're watching it. Now, if they knew him, they see his pain. They see that he's in pain. And if they knew him, they can write a letter and they can send it to him. Hey, I noticed that you popped your shoulder out in Beast Warrior. Sorry that you didn't win. You know, Noah and Eli, right? And so they notice his pain. OK, sympathy would be, I see your pain. And I notice that you're in pain. I see your situation. Now. My wife and I, watching this same thing, when we see the shoulder pop out, we have this visceral response, just like you guys did with me just describing it. And because partly is because between the two of us, we've had five sh shoulder surgeries. And so we know what it's like to pop a shoulder out or four. And so we get it. And we're going, not only do we see your pain, there's a level of going, we feel your pain. Like you're going to have to pay for this. You're probably going to have to get surgery. You're probably, like we feel your pain. That would be empathy. But then you go to compassion. And compassion takes sympathy and empathy further. Where sympathy says, I see your pain, and empathy says, I feel your pain. Compassion says, I see it, I feel it, and now I'm going to take all of my resources and all of my talents and all of who I am to step into your pain to do something to actually alleviate it. Meaning, I'm going to take on whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in that I may be able to enter into it as well. So when Jesus sees this woman, looks at this woman, and has this feeling or this emotion, it is not an emotion that says, I'm going to pray for her. It's an emotion that says, I'm going to help her. I'm going to do something to put myself in her shoes, to be able to feel what she feels, meaning Jesus is okay with loving up close. What I say is when it comes to Jesus' love, he's a close talker. As Americans, and especially me, I don't like close talkers. Somebody gets closer to me, I'm usually doing this. Jesus loves all up in your grill. He puts on flesh for a reason to be able to show up and be able to show out in only a way that the Lord and Savior can. So Jesus does this, says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter in, and I'm going to be able to, to care for this woman in a way to alleviate her pain. That's what compassion does. When it comes to suffering, sometimes we don't know what to do. If you're ever sitting with somebody and they're telling you something and you come undone, or excuse me, they come undone, they're weeping uncontrollably. It is us who feel awkward. We're usually the ones that don't know what to do. And we try to say certain things to get them to stop crying, not just for their healing, because we don't know how to just sit with somebody in the name of Jesus as they are coming undone. We're uncomfortable with it. When it when it comes to the love of Jesus, he's comfortable with being uncomfortable. He's comfortable. It's the very reason why which he came. And so he looks, he sees, right? He feels, and then he begins to speak. And it's not what we think he would say. And when the Lord saw her, verse 13, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Which some of us, we, 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 we look at this going, he says, don't cry? That's what he says? 
I mean, one, when we think about funerals, um, at least in, in the West, we relate to this far differently than the people would have. Like, for instance, if this would have been a situation in modern, modern culture now in the West, when, when suffering or bad things happen, because we have this sense, like an incredible sense of innocence um, and entitlement, we, the emotion we have is anger. We're mad at God. Like, how could God let this happen? Like, why would God let this, why would a good God allow this to happen? In the first culture, that would have been the case. There was a high reverence for who God is. It wouldn't have been the emotion of anger. It would have been that of guilt. What have I done? I must have done something for this to happen. Where God knows that this is a result of the consequences of sin and its far-reaching brokenness that has affected every square inch of this world. And when he enters in, he looks at the woman and he says, don't cry. Now, this is not Jesus saying, really, you're going to cry? So you lost your husband, you lost your son? Is that anything to cry over? Absolutely it is. We've got to understand what he's saying by don't cry. He's saying don't cry in this way. My youngest son, he loves playing soccer. Um, he's in a tournament, he's playing in a game, and he's playing against a team, and this kid kicks the ball as hard as he can, and it hits my son right in his gut, like boom, right? And he has that look where he turns and kind of looks at us at the sideline. All right, those of you with kids, those of you who have been around kids, you've seen this before. Kids have a sense sometimes of what I call a delayed cry, where something happens and it's like, poop. Ah, right? It's like, there's that, and you're like, oh, here it comes, here it comes. Everybody, get back, get back, right? There's a preparation of what's about to happen. So I look at him, and he's like, hey, don't, don't, buddy, buddy, it's, it's going to be all right. Don't, don't cry. It's going to be all right. Listen, it's going to be all right. And what I'm saying is, this pain that you have is temporary, yeah. right? And I tell him that. Now, usually when I tell him that, I'm correct. Um, one time he was limping, and I said, you're fine, quit limping. A week later, hey, you're fine, quit limping. You're trying to get attention, quit trying to get attention. All right, so probably three weeks later, I'm like, take him to the doctor, and he's got to get a cast put on his leg. So one time I was wrong, all right? But most of the times, I'm like, this is temporary. This is going to be all right. So what Jesus is saying here is when he says don't cry, he's not saying don't weep. He's not saying when sad things happen that we shouldn't cry. We know this couldn't be true because if we actually look at Jesus' life, particularly when Jesus is in a similar situation, where his friend Lazarus has died, he walks into the room as everybody's weeping. And what Jesus does is he weeps. And Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he weeps. But he shows his expression. This expression of emotion is fine. He's saying this is temporary. In a way, what he's saying is, I see your situation. I'm moved in a certain way. I'm speaking because I'm about to do something. Like, I'm about to change this whole situation. Like, this funeral, this is about, people are like, remember the, the, yeah, we remember that funeral. Jesus showed up, and he showed out. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus shows out. So, next thing that we begin to see is Jesus loves. He looks, and he has this feeling, this emotion. He speaks, and then he begins to express this love, which is always expressed in action. So, continue back here with the text. Verse 14, and then he went up, and he touched the beer. And they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and throughout the surrounding country. So it says they were all in awe, right? That's like the no-duh statement. 
Because there was a man who was dead. And there were some men who were carrying this man. And then there was this man who they probably didn't even know. They didn't probably know Jesus at the moment, who comes up and says, hey, I want you, hey, real quick, let me stop real quick. Hey, man, get up. And the man came up, right? We say, they were in awe. No, duh, right? There is a sense of going, this man was dead, and it says that now he's awake and he's talking. I have no idea what he was saying. Can you imagine that? The first words when you are raised from the dead? Hey, man, what am I on this? Why are you, get me down, right? There's just this crazy thing that's happening. And Jesus is not doing this just because of this man, as amazing that is. He's not doing it just because of the three to 500 people or the people who are following him, the 1,000, the 2,000. He's not doing it for that. He's not doing it so people can say, man, Jesus is, he's legit. His ministry goes hard, right? He's doing it because he loves this woman. Like, he's able to do for the one even though he loves us all. In this moment, he's able to express love in such a way he's not apologetic and saying, sorry, I can't do it for you. Sorry, I can't do it for you. Because at this moment, he's saying, my love is for you. Right? There's this beautiful picture there. And then as Jesus raised, I, I love this, I love this. He takes the man and gives the man to his mother. Right? And you go, why? And why, meaning like, why does he have to go get the man and bring him to the mother? I mean, just imagine this. This is a grown man. This ain't a little baby. This is not a little kid. This would be the equivalent of me picking up Francis, right, and, and picking up Francis, right, and then taking him to his mother. He said, that seems unnecessary. Why does Jesus do that? Here's why. We are so enamored with the magical when Jesus is totally okay with the mundane. We are so, so in love with the miracle. Jesus shows us he's in love with the mother. That this whole thing was going, this whole thing was that he may show his love for her. Because he loves her. Doesn't just love her, we know that he loves us. Luke writes this story for so many different reasons. But when we slow down and see the, the, the calculated, intentional, personal, relational love of God, that it first starts with him noticing one woman and a crowd of a few hundred people to see her situation, that he moves in such a way to be able to love her, to be able to love her. There is something unique about that. There is something unique about being seen. Oftentimes, and I get it, there's narcissistic people who just want attention for themselves, but there's nothing wrong with wanting to be seen. Right, when a little girl has a dress that she likes and she, she comes in front of her dad and says, Daddy, look at my dress. The daddy doesn't say, Girl, get your selfish self out of here, right? You, you, what, what, no. The daddy says, baby, baby girl, I see you. Like God as our father through the person of Christ by the power of the spirit is looking at us in whatever situation we are in and he's saying, baby girl, baby boy, I see you. And that he's moving into love that way. And so if we're going to love, we have to see the love of Jesus on display. Now hear me on this. Hear me on this. This is not uh, so much of a quote. Now we need to go love like Jesus. You cannot love like Jesus apart from Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? You cannot love like Jesus apart from the working of his Holy Spirit. We have to see how the gospel empowers us to be able to do this. And the way we do is look at the text and we go, wait a minute. But we have to see that God loves us in the way that he loves this woman. Maybe not in the particulars exactly, but if we step back, we begin to see Jesus looks first at us. And he looks at our circumstance and our world 
and what sin and its effects has done and broken and ravished the world in which he created and said was good. And looking, he begins to feel some types of way that he desires to be with us to the point that he puts on flesh and that he begins to move in compassion. Not just looking and not just feeling our pain, but saying, I will take the very thing in which I have, which you did not have, to be able to step in and carry the burden that you cannot carry. And he will carry that burden, as we see throughout the scripture, through the, through the cross. And it is in the death of Jesus Christ through his action that he bears the weight of sin that was meant for you and that was meant for me and every man and every woman in this world who would trust and believe in him. And then we can look at the Father, not just Jesus. We look at the Father and see how much he loves us. Because in the same way that Jesus raises this dead son and gives him back to his mom, that she may have life and it may be life-giving, that God the Father takes his dead son, raises him up from the dead, gives him to us that we may receive by faith, that we may have life. The gospel is not about having a better life. The gospel is about having a new life. The gospel is not about how can we just be like Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus has done for us, and now we have this union with him. And in Christ, now we can love in the ways that Jesus has loved us. In a selfless, sacrificial, generous way that we can look and allow the emotions that we have that we share with our Savior to rise up in us in a way in which we can speak, in a way in which we can love, and we can care for the people around us. Amen? Amen. So, so I, I, I don't know particularly what that looks like for you, so we're going to leave here today, and you're going to do whatever you're going to do today, and tomorrow's going to be Monday, and you're going to go about your week. And you cannot love 22 million people in Lagos, but you can love one. That person may be the person whom you live with, that you may even acknowledge in your own life, the woman or the man, my, my husband, my wife, I'm not loving you. I am not even looking at you in the way that I ought to. I'm speeding by. And I'm going to slow down and the pace and the posture of Christ to be able to love you. It may be the person whom you work with. It may be the people in your neighborhood. Whoever it may be that you're asking for the Spirit of the Lord to say, give me the eyes of Christ. Give me the heart of Christ. Give me the means of Christ to be able to love in the way that God and Christ has loved me. The hope is that when we see how this love of Christ is so high and so lofty that not that we would conjure up a way to, to get there but we would acknowledge that there's this gaping hole in us and a need for the spirit of Christ to be able to fill us to be able to nourish us that we may be led by the spirit to be able to be the hands, the feet, the eyes to be the help of Christ to the city of Lagos and the way that Christ has been the help for us Amen you can go ahead and close your Bibles. I'm going to invite Femi to come back up and continue to lead us in our service. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's such a great message. Thanks for serving us, Ricardo. I really think about it. We live in a very fast pace. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.